Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Welcome to the Golf Central Podcast presented by TaylorMade. I'm Rex Hoggard, joined by Will Gray, and um, Kaz, the producer, is not going to like this because we addressed this in a podcast just a few weeks ago, but Will, you have not been on since then. I owe you a sincere apology, and there was no way around this. Let's go. I I stumbled across this on social media, and it was Easter Sunday. I remember the day specifically that I was not following you after 10 years of working (laughs) with you, sharing houses, sharing cars, sharing plane rides, sharing dinners. I have never followed you on Twitter and it just pops up and it was a, such a lengthy debate in my house. Should I just, do I, I have to follow him, but he'll find out. Would he find out if I didn't follow him? Did he know beforehand? So apologies. And what did you know before I finally came clean? Uh, I appreciate your apology. It was, as I, I believe I texted you, it was a wonderful extra gift in my Easter basket that morning to get the notification that I finally have made the big time after uh, you know eight or nine years riding alongside you and in, in squeezed in vans in England and whatnot. Uh, so I, I will give you, I say, I give you the benefit of the doubt because I know you are a noted uh, block unfollow mute guy. Like you're, you're an equal opportunity get out of my garden on social media. And so I didn't really take great offense to it. I'm sure I probably went on some tangent maybe five or six years ago that you wanted no part of it at the time. And then, you know, you just didn't come back around to hit the follow button again. It, it's all right. I felt like our, our relationship didn't suffer. We remained, uh, you know, solid coworkers. We we spent many hours on the road, shared dinners, shared pints, and and life went on. But it was a nice little welcome treat to get. So this is me being the social media old man yelling, "Get out of my yard!" when when I don't when I don't like a particular take. Okay, I, I'll go along with that. Uh, moving on to the golf news, and there was actually I know I find this hard to believe. There was plenty of golf news this week. This is day number fifty. Will. We last played golf. I did the math this morning. Since they stopped playing golf on Friday morning, or I guess Thursday night, at the Players' Championship, it's day number 50. Do you have any idea, if we stay on schedule, how many days it will be total? Uh, I believe, because I think I did this tweet at the halfway point, I think it's 91. Is that correct? 91. So that means we're, we were on the downward spiral, that, that we're, we're on the downwind run right now. So we got that to look forward to. Hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, that's, you know, we're still having contingencies for our contingencies at this point, but uh, you know we're, we're in May now, which is nice. I, I personally, I don't want to speak for you or, or the, everyone else here. I felt like April went faster than I thought it would, given how crazy and, and slow March kind of trudged along. And here we are in May. We can officially say that golf is going to resume next month. That's a little bit of you know a glimmer of hope, and I'll take anything I can get right now. Again, I keep repeating this, but optimism is free. It doesn't cost anything. So I'm with you on that one. Uh, there was news this week uh, on from uh, all the different tours, actually. I'll start with the PGA Tour, and it was fascinating. And, and, and 
uh, we we knew this was coming down the line. Eligibility is really what this addressed. Uh, they've frozen promotions, demotions. There'll be no relegation. There'll be no promotion this year, really, between the Corn Ferry Tour and the PGA Tour. And, and you wrote a really good column talking about how this impacts some Corn Ferry Tour guys, and I want to get into that. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about first was the way this was described to me, the way the PGA Tour is tackling this. And I find it fascinating that they've looked at this as a three-phase process up to this point. The first phase was a schedule, which they announced a week and a half ago, or actually the revised schedule, and there may be more revisions going forward. The second phase was eligibility, which they got into this week on Thursday. They gave the details on eligibility for this season and next. I was told by people who know who are on the room when they had these discussions, the third phase is health and safety. So I, I want to talk about it. They broke it down this way for a reason. And I, I find it fascinating that health and safety would be last, but I guess it has to be, does it not? Yeah, I think so. Just because you want the health and safety aspect to be based on the latest and greatest information. And, uh, you know, I, as you said, I, I wrote uh, about the Corn Ferry guys or a few of them this week, and I spoke to some of them and they said that they've been told not to book their travel for this. You know, the, the Corn Ferry is coming back in mid-June that same week. The PGA Tour is scheduled to come back at Colonial. So you're, you're five or six weeks out and they've been told, hey, hold off on your travel because we w- want to tell you all the things that you're going to need to do first before you get in that car, get on that plane, whatever. And I think that that's something that players are expecting in the next two or three weeks. And I think that a lot of it is going to be contingent upon, you know, what, what is going on in the world. We've seen how quickly this changes in the course of days and weeks and, and how much testing is going to be available, how much people are going to be asked to do testing at their home before they leave for an event and what they're going to have to be doing on site. So I think that trying to base, those sort of regulations or advice on what we have on May 1st isn't necessarily the best idea if you're going to be operating on what you're going to need on June 8th or at least June 1st. I think Max Homa, you and I were both on the conference call earlier this week and he was asked a similar question and he put it in great context. He said, look, it's kind of similar to you're asking me what I'm watching right now on Netflix. It's not going to be the same thing the second week of June. It's a very similar situation. We don't know what the landscape's going to look like the second week of June. So it's Ozarks today. Who knows what it's going to be the second week of June? There's only three seasons of Ozark. There's no way you're still watching it the second week of June. It is. It is. I'm taking it slowly, and it's. It's. I'm making my wife, and she's not happy about it. We're taking it night by night, and it's because it's so dark, and it's so hard to wrap your mind around. There, I'm forcing breaks. However, and, and I'm going to probably get in trouble for this, but I have also forced my family to watch the Michael Jordan the Last Dance. Mm-hmm. And luckily, they're treating that like it's we're watching it in 1992 and 1996. We're having to wait for them to actually air them on Sunday nights. And as much as my family hates it, I love it. Because number one, they're understanding how great Michael Jordan was. And number two, they can't just sit down and binge watch for 14 hours a day. Big fan of that. Yes, yes. Two, two episodes in a week. I'm a fan of that format as well. It does kind of take you back back in the days. But... Uh, yeah, I think you can finish Ozark before we, we get to golf again at Colonial. I think that's a pretty pretty low branch to jump over. Oh, I, I will be done by next week. I'll be able to, you, you know, you can let the spoilers out next week. I'll be done. We've only got two episodes left. Um, the other part of this eligibility plan that the PGA Tour announced is the idea that anyone who essentially has status on the PGA Tour this season will have status next season on the PGA tour, even if they don't finish inside the top 125, all the things we've come to understand about promotion and relegation. That means only a handful of the corn Ferry tour, which is top players are going to get, and it's going to be a very limited number of starts. It's essentially going to be opposite field events. There are, and, and I, I want to footnote this by saying, don't let perfect be the enemy of good here. And I know everyone is saying that across the board, this is not a perfect situation. 
I think the tour did the best they can, but there's certainly going to be guys that are hurt. And you, you talked to a lot of those guys. Yeah, I did. You know, I talked to a few of the guys. Davis Riley is number two in points. And, and he told me he won in Panama earlier this year. And he's thinking, you know, I, I, my job is basically done. I've got a PGA Tour card coming on the way. And now all of a sudden he's coming to the realization that, you know, as a 23-year-old can't-miss prospect, he's not going to get on the tour with a full status until potentially August of 2021. You mentioned those top 10 guys after the Corn Ferry Tour Championship are going to get entrance into some opposite field events next PGA Tour season. But that's not status. That's not something that they can hang their hat on. That's just a few extra starts, kind of, you know, kind of like making it through on a Monday qualifier and, and you're free rolling and see what you can get. But, uh, you know, you're right. It, it's a difficult situation. It's a trickle-down effect where the, the priority has to be taking care of the guys who are PGA Tour members. And then you go from there to Corn Ferry, to McKenzie Tour, to Latino America, all the way through. And and it's part of this this domino effect that, that these guys are caught in, but it's very difficult when you're, especially with the corn ferry, when you're not dealing with a wraparound season, these guys showed up in the middle of January to the Bahamas and they thought that they were in the midst of a, of a seven or eight month sprint. And now it's, it's marathon that, uh, you know, I think that it's something that's it's going to take a little bit of time to, to adjust to. Well, and it, that part of the equation is very interesting to me, the corn fairy tour option here. The other part of it in our, our college guy, Steve Bukowski got into this on golf central the other night, talking about what impact it's going to have on the college guys and yep. how deep this is going to go. I mean, it, obviously if you're a junior who was good enough to consider turning pro, you're probably not going to do that now because you're going to lose a year of your professional career because of the fact you'll have nowhere to play. Yeah, it's basically it's hitting the pause for for a lot of guys that that you think you're going to try and level up or you're trying to gain access, and and now all of a sudden you're not going to be able to, and, and the the doors are are effectively closed. And you know there is a, a sentiment that this does make sense in terms of protecting the the PGA Tour guys and, and the guys that are members. I, mean, I went in and did some digging. Tom Lewis, who won the Corn Ferry Tour Championship, that finals event last year, he's only made five starts in the PGA Tour this season. Granted, he's you know straddling European tour membership as well. But you look at a guy like Richie, Richie Wierenski, who was 49th out of 50 on that priority list. He's only made eight starts this year. And, and if you're looking at now, you have potentially a best case, you've got 11 more regular season events for guys to, to try and play in. These guys that are low on the priority list are not going to be able to get into those events, the 3M Open, the John Deere, that they used to think were guaranteed starts for guys lower on the list because now everyone's going to want to play. The, the John Deere, Kevin Kisner said they're going to have the best field ever because everyone's just going to want to play regardless of where it is. You know, I would say devil's advocate. I was talking to uh, another writer about this last night that he pointed out if 33 PGA Tour events in terms of the regular season are enough to allow for a FedEx Cup champion to be crowned, shouldn't it be enough to for guys to potentially lose their cards? Uh, you know, if, if the sample size is big enough on one side, it, it probably should be big enough on the other. But you get into so many intricate eligibility issues. And we haven't even tackled the international guys who may or may not be able to get back in to the U.S. in time to restart. And, and there's just so many different variables in play that I think that the tour, as you said, it's not a perfect solution. But this is probably a solution that serves the most good across the board. Well, and we've talked about this for weeks now about we don't know the uncertainty of when schedules are going to start, when we're going to start playing golf again. I mean, everyone has kind of set a different date. You said that middle of June for the PGA Tour, very, very similar right now for the Corn Ferry Tour, although that could change as well. But then you start getting down in the weeds with the other developmental tours, the PGA Tour China and Latin America and Canada. All these things are interconnected. And so trying to get all of these things to match up and feed, I think the tour realized very, very early in the process 
it wasn't going to happen. We're not going to get all these these schedules to match up so we can have what we would consider a normal season. So they had to do this. And, and I know there's going to be plenty of players who aren't happy about this, but you touched on a, a really good point. If 33 regular season events is enough to crown a champion, why isn't it enough to keep a tour card or, or to call it an official season that way? And I, I think you also touched on it. If guys can't get 15 starts, regardless of what status they had, I don't think you can be expected to consider that a full season. Yeah, yeah. And there are definitely a lot of guys who are not going to be able to hit that 15 start mark, whether it's kind of a magic number. Yeah. 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 And, and I know that they've, they've talked about lowering the, the threshold from 15 to 10 in terms of what you need to keep your membership, but that's not necessarily what you need to be able to keep your card. Usually even on the low end, you're seeing guys make 17, 18 starts out of maybe, you know, 40 ish events. And so it, it's very difficult for, to, to say to a guy, Hey, you need to you know make your number in 12 starts, especially when you made nine of those starts already. And you didn't know the importance of them when you made it, but, but the trickle down effect is real. I know I talked to, to Will Zalatoris, who's, who's 18th on the corn ferry list right now. And he's, he's one of those guys who thought he was in position to move up uh, in August. And he said, you know, for, for guys like me, who he's 23, he's just starting out, you know, this is, it, it's a million plus dollar difference in terms of spending another year playing on the corn ferry tour where, you know, it's a six figure purse as opposed to the PGA tour where you can walk away with seven figures, even if you don't win an event and, and you add that up over the course of 12 months. And he said, listen, I know that the focus needs to be on the process and I know that I'm going to get there eventually. But, but in the here and now, when I'm a guy trying to, you know, get things off the ground and get started, the dollars and cents really can make a difference in terms of what I was hoping to be able to, to achieve. And now what I'm kind of going to be dealing with for the next 12, 15 months. Well, and the trickle down of it is what just blows me away. I mean, we talked about obviously corn Ferry tour guys and the other developmental guys, but the way it's working out now, what if some of the college seniors who now under the new NCAA rules have the option of going back because their sport was washed out by the pandemic, but now all of a sudden you're impacting incoming freshmen. So it just doesn't stop. I mean, it, it was a very, very complicated issue. And I think the PGA tour just tried to keep it as simple as possible. There was no other way of doing it. Now, on the flip side of this, and again, we're all hoping to get started, at least from a PGA Tour perspective, June 11th at Colonial for the Charles, Charles Schwab Challenge, NASCAR announced that they're looking to be the first sport back. Middle of May is when they're thinking about having their first race. It's going to be in South Carolina. I, I did a lot of research on this this morning because I was fascinated to find out because the PGA Tour is still trying to work through their protocols and exactly what a tour event is going to look like after the pandemic. And the one thing that stood out to me from NASCAR's plan, they're not going to test. They feel like those tests are better suited, obviously right now to the people who need them, the people who need to be tested, the people who need to be work with those who might have coronavirus. That to me is fascinating because it's going to be about the same number of people at these races that we're going to have at tour events. And it's going to be a litmus test for the PGA tour. And I think all of sports to see how this plays out. Yeah, especially when, you know, you and I were both on calls a couple of weeks ago when the scheduling stuff came out and, and tour executives have put such a an importance on testing that they said, basically, this is all riding on the ability to test, you know, anyone that, that we need to and, and feel like we're not taking those tests away from needs in the healthcare world or in hospitals or with people who, who are potentially sick. And so, you know, the thought at that point, you were seven or eight weeks away. And, and the, the hope was that the testing was going to get ramped up. Now we're kind of halfway through the latest piece of this, as you said, and, and we're downhill towards Colonial. And I do think that there's a sense of kind of looking around, even among states, as we see states start to open up 
one's going faster than the other, the states and governors are looking you know, across the way to see, hey, how's it going for that guy? And, and what's he doing? And what's he not doing? And, and how is it working out? And I think that we're going to see that trickle down as well with sports in terms of if NASCAR is the first sport back, a lot of sports, including the PGA Tour and golf, are going to look to their model and see what are they doing and how successful is it as they try and get back on at least a limited basis in a few weeks. Well, and one of the things that stood out from their plan, and I, I've heard this talked about a lot as we get closer and closer to Colonial and they're, they're getting closer to exactly a plan and what it's going to look like. They've actually set up different garage areas, trying to limit the exposure between teams. You're trying to put as much social distancing space between the actual teams as you possibly can. I've learned that they're trying to come up with multiple locker rooms at Colonial where you would have X number of players in one locker room and X number of players in the other locker room. Now, every tournament is different and logistics are going to factor into this. But again, so many moving pieces. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I know we've seen so many other possible scenarios with sports like baseball where they've talked about having players sit in the stands as opposed to the dugouts because if, if fans aren't going to be there, you're going to have to social distance the players who, who aren't on the field. And so I think that right now is, is the time to tap into any and all creativity that these organizations have in terms of how are we going to be able to do this and, and do it effectively. We've seen this week there's, you know, the Merido – uh, charity tournament in, in Dallas, which drew a lot of, you know, Corn Ferry and, and PGA Tour guys was won by Scotty Scheffler. And I was talking to some of those guys uh, that, that were playing down there and they talked about, you know, we've seen in, in recreational and amateur golf, no rakes and bunkers and, and leaving the pin in. And this event had one person kind of like at the open where you have one person with each group with a rake and he's going around and he is the designated rake person. So no one's touching the rake. You have one person with each group. Now, granted, now you're adding what, 40 or 50 extra people on the ground. And that starts to add up quickly when you think about all the precautions you have to take. But if you have one person that's handling the rake and one person that's handling the flag stick for each group and things like that, that I think that that is going to be a way to potentially minimize some of those high contact points where you, you could have, you know, multiple players getting in and, and crossing paths. And, and I do think that separate locker rooms and, and Things like that that you had mentioned are, are definitely going to be a key to that puzzle as we try and figure out how do we get 150 players and 150 caddies and a set amount of PJ Tour officials and shot lane people. And, and easily the number is going to get up close to 1,000 people that you need on the ground, even if there are no fans. How do you get those people in safely and, and make sure that no one is, is getting cross-contaminated? And that many tests. I mean, on the same day that, that NASCAR announced that they're getting back to action without tests – uh, ESPN reported that the NBA will need 15,000 tests to get back to work. And they're talking about doing these bubble cities, maybe in Orlando or someone else, where they, they kind of quarantine the entire league somewhere for the remainder of the season just to try to get it done. So there's so many moving parts that in golf, you won't be able to do that. We'll be going from Fort Worth to Hilton Head the next week and then to Michigan and, and wherever else we have to go. Now, the PGA Tour wasn't the only one uh, circuit making moves last week. Both the PGA Tour champions and the LPGA released their versions of revised schedule for the PGA Tour champions. It's July 31st is when they're hoping to get back to work. For the LPGA Tour, it's July 15th. I find it interesting. Both those events are in Michigan. I'm not yeah. sure if that's good or bad. I mean, my guess is by that time, we'll know we'll have a better idea of exactly, again, that's, that's a long time from now. Hopefully, we'll have a better idea of exactly where the United States is, Michigan is, as far as the pandemic. Again, I, I think they probably could have steered to a little safer territory, both both tours. 
Yeah, Michigan is, is certainly one of the states that's getting hit relatively hard by the virus, but there's also a factor of, you know, just scheduling and timing on the calendar. My wife's from Michigan, so I can testify to just how short that golf season is in Michigan. And so the tournaments that are scheduled in the peak of the summer are the ones that are up north because that's the only time you can have them. And so that's kind of where those schedules were, were crafted around. And, and you're right, whether or not they might need to move things around or better suited like you see on the Corn Ferry Tour where – where they're starting in Ponte Vedra Beach. And, and as you mentioned, the, it's, a, it's a bit of a traveling circus. You can't stay in one spot at, at once, but the Corn Ferry Tour is kind of trying to do a hybrid model where they've got two straight weeks in the, the Ponte Vedra St. Augustine area. And then later on, they've got two events at the same venue in San Antonio, where one week they're playing one course, one week they're playing another. And that might be a way to try and limit you know issues and variables, but still increase the level of competition, increase the number of starts that guys are getting but but you're right lpga and and champions are, are heading north and i think that it's possibly one of the factors is just because if you don't have those tournaments now or now being you know late mid mid to late july you might not have a lot of opportunities to have them down the road and i will say i do think mike Wan, lpga commissioner deserves some credit for getting a lot of the the title sponsors of events that have been canceled to then chip in to these events that are still on the table and increase the purses and make sure that his players still have a fair amount of money to play for. It's, it's difficult circumstances for sure. But I think that those sponsors specifically and Mike Wan's efforts to coordinate all of that deserve some applause. Well, and to circle back around with whatever it is you want to call the corn Ferry tour, because all the events this year will be folded into next year. And it's been called a mega season by some people because you start getting getting into issues of competitive viability. And this got brought up when the PGA Tour released their revised schedule and the idea that at what point do you not consider what's been played and what might possibly be played a viable season. As it stands right now, it's worth pointing out, the PGA Tour has 36 events if we get back to work on June 11th at Colonial. The PGA Tour champions has 18 events. Now, the Corn Ferry Tour decided that for whatever reason, it wasn't going to be a viable season with 17 events. Are we getting close to the tipping point with all of these tours? Uh, I think potentially. I, I think PGA Tour champions, I, I consider more of an outlier because you have fewer other circuits feeding into it. You know, with, with Corn Ferry, you've got issues because you've got McKenzie Tour that hasn't gotten off the ground yet in Canada. You've got Latino America that could have some logistical issues playing in multiple countries. And so on top of trying to protect the PGA Tour guys above them, you've got issues with who's going to be coming up from, from below on those other circuits. PGA Tour Champions is, is a bit of a self-sufficient machine in terms of just the over 50 guys. Yes, you have Q School at the end of the year, but there's only a handful of spots that are available at, at, at Champions Q School. And so a lot of it is, listen, the same guys that are playing right now in 2020 are going to still be around in 2021. And you add in a handful of guys who, who celebrate the big 5-0 birthday in between and you make room for it. And and potentially, yeah, there could be some issues with, do we have a Charles Schwab Cup? Do we have a season-long champion? Do we have a postseason? Or do you create, like the Corn Ferry has, something of a mega season? But I, I think that the champions guys are kind of off on their own with dealing with a few less variables with this, whereas the Corn Ferry is really stuck in the middle of a very complicated domino effect, and they're trying to do the best they can. Well, without a doubt, but you avoided my question, uh, and I'll make it a little bit more <laughs> simple. PGA Tour is at 36 events right now. Yes. At what point is it not enough events to say whoever wins at Eastlake is a viable FedEx Cup champion? I think we're getting close, and I think that part of the reason why this, this information came oh, it's down like is, he works for the Tour. Give me a number, man. Uh, I, th I mean, I, I think that you're in a situation where if you lose any more events, you might not be able to have 
35. Yeah, yeah. let's say okay. if, you, if you have 35, it's thin ice. Because I think if you would let me make my newest point that a lot of the, the reasoning for making this announcement this week is because it could be paving the way for a mega season on the PGA Tour where certainly there are issues with, with you know, how guys feel about how, how this came out and whether, you know, the Corn Ferry guys are, are getting the, the toughest part of it. But if, if the PGA Tour rolls into 2021 and they have a, a 19 to 21 mega season, then it doesn't really matter. Then everyone is on hold and, and we're not dealing with a lot of these you know, scenarios of should this guy move down because he finished 156 and should this guy move up because he's 22 on the corn ferry list. If everyone's on hold into 2021, I think it becomes a lot more clean. That's not a scenario that the folks in Ponte Vedra would want, but I, I think it's certainly at least on the table right now, because as they have said with every, every revision that comes through is that this is the latest and greatest plan, but it is definitely not locked in stone in terms of returning next month at Colonial. And I do think that, yeah, if you get a situation where you're losing any more events, it's going to be very difficult to consider it a full season and and hand out uh, a bunch of money at East Lake. And I think one question that really hadn't been addressed until this week is, are players going to want to go play? And I say that because Pat Perez has been one of the first players to come out and it's quoted, it's a bit premature to resume the PGA Tour season. Again, we're a few weeks away, so I'm not quite sure how things are going to change in the coming weeks. I talked to Billy Andred this week about the PGA Tour champions resuming and asked him if he was going to play. He didn't know. He, he wasn't 100% sure because we don't know what life is going to be like. What's air travel going to be like? What's the testing protocols going to be like? I'm just not 100% sure that they're going to have uh, just a complete agreement across the board. You're talking about a lot of different personalities and a lot of individuals when it comes to let's get back to work at Colonial or wherever it might be. Absolutely. And then, as, as we mentioned earlier, you've got the international component where, you know, what the tour a couple weeks ago said they know of 25 players and 35 caddies who are currently not in the U.S. And, and who knows how easily or quickly they're going to be able to return to the country, even if they want to. And then then you have to deal with, as you said, the notion of our guys going to want to travel internationally and and get on planes and come over here. You, I know you spoke to Rafa Cabrera Bayo, and he was facing that situation where he didn't go back home to Dubai because he wasn't sure when he was going to be able to come back. And so he's basically been quarantined in Ponte Vedra ever since the players. And so I, I do think that as this restart becomes more of a reality, right now it's it still feels a little bit like a thought exercise. And when we get a couple more weeks down the road and it becomes a reality and guys are starting to tune up and potentially book travel or look into logistics and and how they're going to deal with it. Are we going to be in a hotel? Am I going to be able to stay with my wife and kids? Where's my caddy going to be? Things like that. That now I do think that you're going to have some guys sort through that and say, you know what? I don't, I don't need this right now. I'm, I'm going to sit this out, kind of see how it goes. Maybe something like the PGA tour is doing with NASCAR and say, let me watch these first couple events, see how it goes. And then maybe I'll, I'll dip my toe in the water at, at travelers or rock and mortgage or, or John Deere down the road. And, and, you know, as independent contractors, that's certainly their their right and their privilege to craft any schedule that they want. But I do think that the tour is going to have to to deal with that. And I'm sure that they're open to that sort of player feedback. They're interested in, in these hack meetings to, to know how the guys are feeling and, and how easily this return could could come to be. But I do think that as with anything, you're going to have guys on both sides of the issue. Is Padre Carrington right? Do they have to, quote, take one for the team this year with a Ryder Cup without fans? I I hope not. I, I mean, I can't think of any event that is more hurt by a fanless experience than the Ryder Cup, that it is so important to have fans there. And it really makes the event. I get that it would still be a big event. It would be a team event. You potentially, you know, without the Olympics, this is a situation where you could have U.S. and Europe coming together and, 
You can have a, a big global, you know, social distancing hug. Uh, but man, it's it's tough to envision, you know, having, you know, Sergio Garcia and Justin Rose against, you know, Justin Thomas and Kepka and and with no fans there. And you're just playing like you would a, a Tuesday game out at, at Muirfield Village or something. Uh, so I think that, that the the issue for that could become more financial, that the the home Ryder Cup is so important financially, especially to the European tour, that the notion of, you know, yeah, they're not going to get a lot from financially from having the 2020 event at Whistling Straits, but the prospect of pushing the 2022 Ryder Cup at Italy another year might have some serious ramifications to the bottom line for Keith Pelly and, and those folks across the Atlantic. And so when it comes to dollars and cents, it, it could become a, a very significant motivating factor that, that could lead to, as, as Patrick said, maybe they take one for the team and just go ahead and play. But man, that's, that's a tough scenario to envision. If social media is any guide here, this will not be a popular opinion, but absolutely not. You don't need to take one for this team. I mean, cause you're right. It's not the Ryder cup. It's, it's, it's going to be the Tavistock cup. I mean, I, I, there's no other way to look at it. I mean, I just don't know. It, it, it's not the 12 best Europeans against the 12 best Americans that really makes that environment. It's the first tee that shakes. It's, yeah. it's the fans. It's, getting fired up like you don't get fired up in any other event like Patrick Reed is, is the exception but we don't see that kind of emotion anywhere else unless it's Sunday afternoon at Augusta I mean there are very few instances when players show that emotion and care that much and it starts from the first tee and it's all because of the fans if you're in France you were in France you you know what that first tee was like it was pandemonium it was one of the coolest experiences of my life and it's not as though this is unprecedented I mean, they switched, they rotated the years after 9-11 and they switched essentially the President's Cup and the Ryder Cup and pushed it back a year because of everything that was going on. I, I think if you're going to look at any event and just say it's going to be better next year, that's the one event I would say. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. If there's one to push, it, it would be that one. And and you mentioned it, you know, it's so important with the environment. I remember Tony Finau was a rookie in Paris and, and he hit a four iron, I think about 280 yards on that first hole, almost hit it in the water. And I guarantee you he wouldn't have hit a 284 iron if he's playing in front of, you know, six people. Two of them are, are his opponents. And that it's so important to get that adrenaline and that that environment. But but Rex, if it's a situation where the European tour opens their books and says, I'm not sure if this ship is going to float until 2023, then what do you do? Then, you know, potentially you might have to take take a course that you might not want to and and try and make sure that that all participants are able to continue on in this thing. And and it's difficult right now. All these circuits are making difficult choices and, and they're dealing with difficult variables. But, you know, the finances are, are definitely one of them for a, a tour like the European tour that is still very much TBD on when they're going to be able to get back because there are so many additional hurdles dealing with, you know, crossing international borders and playing events. We talked about how difficult it is to move from one state to the next versus, you know, an NBA season that might be able to you know set up shop in Orlando for a couple of weeks. Keith Pelly's trying to figure out how to hold events in you know, Switzerland and France and Spain. And, and yeah. man, that is exponentially more difficult than anything the PGA Tour is dealing with. I totally understand. I, I get the logistics. I get the finances involved here. It's it's just tough for me to wrap my mind around it. All right, before we get out of here, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, it's been 50 days since we sat in a media center together. What do you miss the most? Uh, not sitting next to Ryan Labner. Um, His leg I've, shakes all the time and the table bounces up and down. It does. He, yeah. He, yeah, it's just the, the tapping, it's unnecessary. So that's been nice. I've had, I've had no one, you know, no earthquakes on the table from another laptop nearby. 
you know, I, I still think just just the camaraderie and being out there and being able to, you know, grab a guy for 20 seconds and, and ask a single question, whereas you, you feel like you're moving mountains to try and get people on the phone or on a conference call right now. And and it just the normalcy of what we had. It, it's I think that we're going to look back at that Players' Championship week, and that is going to be one of the craziest, most surreal weeks of our careers and of any of the players' career, of just how fast everything unfolded that week from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of, yes, this this is a, a concern, but we've got it kind of figured out to Thursday, you know, everything's going upside down and Friday we're all packing up and not sure when we're going to see each other again. So uh, it's, it's been a wild uh, quarantine period and certainly it was a wild start to it back at uh, Sawgrass. I do miss how easy our jobs were. Right. <laughs> we totally took it for granted. Just being able to walk out of an air conditioned media center where we're being fed free food. Yes. You know, talk to whatever player we want and ask whether random and mindless question that we possibly wanted as of, right now where you're scraping things together and begging people on Twitter to please call you back. Uh, Willie, I beg you not to block me on Twitter. Thanks, pal. Uh, we'll see how things go. You're, you know, you're back in the good graces, but you know, everyone deserves the right to kind of just weed their garden of social media as they wish. So far, you've made the cut. We'll see what next week brings. We'll see you next week on the Golf Central Podcast presented by TaylorMade. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.